And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, March 1st. Feels good to flip the calendar to a new month, especially uh, given the prolonged winter we've been dealing with here in Wisconsin. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris, and it feels like baseball season is actually just around the corner. We've got spring games on TV, we've got games on the radio, we've got drafts starting up, TGFBI started today. I'm in a league similar to the Barf League that Eno is in. It's called Glarf. It's the Great Lakes version of that, so a Midwest League. That's a slow draft that started up. Oh. Our friends over at Prospects Live have a Best Ball Dynasty slow draft that started up today. So I have three slow drafts that all started today. And, of course, the chaos of everything else for the season descending upon us, too. How's it going for you on this Monday, you know? It was good. It, yeah, chaos, uh, scattered thoughts, uh, trying to, like, get in front of a draft widget and re- remember what team it was and what's going on and, like, uh, what the settings were and where your auction calculator tab is for that one. And, like, just... Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Watching Matt, I don't even know his first name, Shoemake, somebody named Shoemake, uh, just grounded out against somebody named McCarthy. So, uh, I, that's what you want. I'm a fan. Listen, I'm a fan of names on the back of jerseys because (laughs) there's a lot of players in baseball and in spring in particular, there's so many more. That I just, I don't have, you know, I don't have the patience to get like the media guide for every single team and be like, okay, number 69 is. <laughs> so anyway, that's, uh, that's life right now. I'm on the clock right now. You are on the clock. Oh, this is a good reminder to anybody out there who is in a slow draft to mute the tab if you are working in an office again. <laughs> uh, Fantrax in particular notoriously has the loud air horn on by default. Like The the NFBC sound kind of sounds like an announcement's going to be made on an airplane. It's just the <laughs> ding, ding, just very soft, very pleasant. Uh, and then there's the you are on the clock, right? That happens on a few you different rooms. You are on rooms. the clock. But the, the hard air horn sound <laughs> on Fantrax will make you jump and will surprise you and will embarrass you, as our friend Vlad Sedler uh, pointed out, if you are in a meeting when that thing goes off. Let this also be uh, proof that sometimes when you're waiting on someone to make their pick, they're just out there podcasting. Also that. (laughs) Not not doing their pick. They're just, get out of the booth, make your pick. You have to have some patience, man. These two four-hour segments. Sometimes it'll they'll take the whole four four hours. Sometimes I forgot I forgot to put auto on. I'm on the West Coast, you know. I went to sleep. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry they had to wait the two hours, but you know I think we'll get the draft done. There's a little bit of etiquette 
in the slow draft to uh, the TGFBI league I'm in. Jeff Zimmerman's in it. He's got the ninth pick. I'm picking 11th. He's planning on picking Shane Bieber, and Shane Bieber is about to make his Cactus League debut. So he chatted the room and just said, I've got a few hours on the clock. I'm going to wait and just make sure that Bieber gets through his outing healthy, and then I'll draft him. It's my first pick. I'm not going to take a guy and then have him get hurt the very first time he pitches in a game in spring training, which is fine. It's a slow draft for a reason. I feel like if you're going to wait like that, just let the room know. So that way people aren't checking back every five minutes, waiting, you know, anticipating that you're going to actually make that pick. For the record, I have the ninth pick. I'm considering Bieber, which I've never, I've never taken a pitcher in the first round. And I'm, for the record, I'm just podcasting. <laughs> nice of you to be honest <laughs> about that. I may, I may check in. I may check in on the Bieber situation after the podcast is over. <laughs> I mean, yeah, his outing will be done by the time we wrap this up. So that works out really well for you. But you've really never drafted a pitcher in the first round before? I've never done it. Never done really? it before. Yeah. I mean, part of that's probably that you believe one of your strengths as a player is finding plenty of pitching later. So pushing pitching really early is less of a priority for you. But is this going to be different this year? I don't know. Some of it, some of it is also just like. Um uh gross deep seated uh bias of against pitchers and, and and it's just old it's old like i've been playing ba- i'm old now i'm old i've been playing baseball uh fantasy baseball since like 2002 and when i started i said i'm not drafting a pitcher until the 10th inning i'm gonna whoop your pants i don't i hope i didn't say that <laughs> is that what you said <laughs> yeah, that you talked trash like back then Never been a particularly good trash talker. Um, anyway, <laughs> I wanted, I'm not going to take a picture to the tent that I want to beat your behind. Are those um, people still your friends? Man. <laughs> I never talk trash. Um, That's like Pete no. Weber celebrating his, his U.S. Open championship. That was uh, that was just circulating again because it was an anniversary for that event. What did he say? He Who do you think like, you are? I am. Yeah. Anyway, my point was, I used to take pictures in the 10th, uh, start taking pictures in the 10th, and it worked because uh, I think we were as good at, at, at seeing who were good pitchers, like, you know, identifying the good pitchers we weren't as good at. Um, you know, I think a lot of, I think it was the pace of draft it worked for back in the day, because if you're, uh, if you, I think everyone took pictures later, and then, so if, if everyone takes their pictures later, then you can wait even later and still get like I was still getting like uh, two top twenty guys, and picking in the tenth, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's been a long sort of slow process for me of being like, no, nah, I got I got to take pictures early. They 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 make up X amount of the roster, X percent of the roster, and the very best pitchers can be worth just as much as the very best pitch hit, uh, hitters and. Um, you know, injury is just the chaos that comes for us all. And it's just, uh, you, you have to pay the piper and get the best, the best pitchers. So I, I'm, I'm thinking about a uh, beaver, but I also got my man, Kristen Yelich there. And like, like, I really think he's going to like 35, 20, like 275, 35, 20. And I'm just like, man, I don't really want to give that up. I don't either. I am in the 11th spot 
and I'm glad that Jeff is planning on taking Bieber. I want Bieber to be healthy just because I don't want players to get hurt, but you know, it's either going to be Yelich or Trevor Story, depending on what the team next to me does. They could very well take Yelich and you know, I'm not going to get him. But uh, I do find myself not wanting to draft Bieber. I'm comfortable drafting DeGrom. I'm comfortable drafting Cole. I'm comfortable drafting a bunch of the starting pitchers that we see consistently going in round two. I just can't figure out what it is about Bieber that I don't actually like in the moment. Even though when I step back and look at the numbers, look at the underlying skills, it all makes sense. It's reflected in the rankings. I think he belongs in the late part of round one. But every single time in the moment, whether it is a draft or an auction, I talk myself out of it. I don't go the extra dollar if it's an auction, and I decide to go with one of the hitters instead if I'm in a position where Bieber's out there. But it's not, and it's not a pitching, it's not a pitching general thing. So like if Cole, I was like at nine looking at seven, and Cole and Cole was still out there, and I was like, whoa, what? I think if Cole gets to me, then I'm definitely taking him. I don't know why I'm hesitating more on Bieber when their projections are pretty similar. But so if you got if you had Cole chance at Cole, you would take him in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. No hesitation whatsoever in that same spot. I would take Garrett Cole. I mean, you know, it is interesting that he was a command, you know, 88, 89 mile an hour Juco kind of kind of um, uh, prospect, you know, just not not uh, on people's radars. And, uh, even as he, you know, as he started to put velocity on, of course, yeah, then the prospect, he got on prospect list. I'm not saying that everybody missed on him. Please don't construe my words that way, but I'm just saying that like, it's a bit of a pop-up guy. Um, Cole is a little bit more of a, you know, was he first overall or like top three pick just blew through the minors throws super wicked had, I don't know. (laughs) I think it's it's bias on my part for sure to not want to take Bieber. That's the main reason that I keep coming back to is I look at the, the scouting reports from when he came up and it's like those probably don't matter that much anymore. We've seen him at the highest level do what he's done. So what analysts and evaluators thought he was going to be two and three years ago probably doesn't matter anymore. And yet in my head, it seems to have some sort of value. Yes, it doesn't really matter at some point when you but, but it's not like his track record is so voluminous. Nice. That uh that you can be like, "Oh, we know who he is now." There is a little bit of uh like, well, you know, his best season was a short season and you know, he was giving up some homers before and some hard contact and you know, Alex Chamberlain has has famously pointed out some of Bieber's shortcomings inside the zone um in terms of the hard contact he gives up. So, and that, that could be related to not having the overpowering stuff, right? But at the same time, like, I think what we're looking at is like Kyle Hendricks with velocity. Which would be a really fun uh, add on for Kyle Hendricks. Is that a pretty, yeah, right. It's not a perfect corollary because they, you know, Kyle Hendricks is the changeup guy, blah, 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 blah. But like, I think we're talking about like plus command with 94 instead of plus command at whatever Kyle Hendricks throws. Like 90, 89, 90. 88. A lot of, a lot of 88, This 89. is the face I make when I talk about 88. 88 miles an hour makes me make this face. Yeah, the 88 face. So I need to get over it. I need to <laughs> get past my fear of Shane Bieber in the first round because everything appears to be in place for him to continue to return value of a top five starting pitcher. So if I solve it, I'll let you know what the issue is. I was also doing some eat this, not that, and 
Like, Bueller's projections are really similar, man. Just really similar. I think that the biggest difference, you know, when I did auction calculator, the thing that's really killing me is it's like $44 for Bieber and 37 for Christian Yelich. And I'm like, God, that's seven. That's like a, that's pretty big. But when I like looked at the projections, it's mostly a volume thing. Bueller and, and, and Bieber's per inning projections are pretty similar. I don't know why uh, Zips, Zips is like, has a, a fairly wide discrepancy. Zips has Bieber at like a 3.5 ERA and Bueller at a 3.1 ERA. Um, hmm. So Zips is telling me to, to, to wait and take Bueller. It's time. It's time for those big long sighs and, and, and push the button. Yeah, and, and swearing at the screen when things don't break the I way you want. Super you know? I'm in a long, uh, I'm in a long draft and hold. Uh, what's it called? OC, the OC champions or whatever. Uh, OC uh, draft champions. That's draft, a DC. Draft champ, DC. Yeah. So I'm in a draft and hold, and we're in like the, we're I think we're at like 430 in terms of picks, and I just, sc- I just screamed at my computer. I thought my wife didn't hear me. I just screamed at my computer because someone took Max Stasi. <laughs> All like, the you. reasons to go on tilt, that's not one of them. You bastard! Snipe me at 438! <laughs> you can't get sniped on Max Stassi <laughs> anywhere, and you can't get sniped on anybody at 438. Exactly. This is not a snipe. <laughs> Wait this is just the long. draft happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, with games happening, with things happening, with news actually breaking, we talked about this a bit on Friday, the best shape of his life stories, of course, those don't mean a whole lot. At least that's what Ben Lindbergh's study found. They're not completely meaningless, but they're not necessarily as meaningful as we'd like. It brings us to a broader question of what matters when we're watching baseball and we're watching baseball news in the spring. And if you look at Rotowire or former Roto World, now NBC Sports Edge. You look at the news pages there. It's a great way to stay on top of the information. You'll see a whole variety of different things. You'll see guys pitching a scoreless inning. You'll see someone working on a new pitch. You'll see a minor injury. Right? Anthony Rendon's not playing on Monday due to soreness. It's unspecified soreness. It's just soreness. He's just 31, and he started doing more exercise last week, so he's a little sore. I can relate to that. Uh, but then you get to stuff like this. Xander Bogarts had an MRI on his shoulder, and the MRI came back negative, so it doesn't seem like anything that's going to cause us to drop Bogarts too far in rankings, but it might actually be something, because when you look at a news aggregator, you see a headline, and you see the person who gathered the information, you see their spin on what happened, and sometimes in putting those news items together, the original information gets slightly lost. And this is not at all a shot at people that do this. This is just explaining how the process works. This is how the sausage is made. You need to click through the links when you look at news on those sites because the quotes from the team sometimes shed a little extra light on just how serious something might be. In this case, if you look at the quotes, and the original piece came from Jason Mastrodonato, I believe Jason is with the Boston Herald. Uh, if you look at the original quote from Haim Bloom, it makes you feel a little more pessimistic than you'd feel if you only read the player note. So the quote from Haim Bloom, nothing concerning, no, all what you would expect. He should be ready, 
parentheses, for opening day. Obviously, we won't skip steps with him. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but we should have the time we need, end quote. That, to me, says we expect him back playing in spring games before opening day, but we're not going to push it, which would suggest some kind of like one to two week injury or absence, a very minor you know, strain sort of issue. No structural damage, but if we're gonna stay, if we're gonna take Bogarts out of action for a couple of weeks, and we're gonna say there's a non-zero chance that he misses opening day, that does probably knock him down a couple of spots, even if he doesn't even fall more than a half round in ADP over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, nothing in the MRI ignores the fact that there was something that created the need for an MRI, and uh, everything was all clear in the MRI. And then there are steps, you know, to this process means that this is a this is like an actual thing. This is an actual injury of some sort that requires a rest. Uh, that's step one. Um, and then sort of some sort of rehab. Step two. That's the normal process, you know. So uh, it's not like uh, he stubbed his toe. He's out today, you know. Um you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it, I would take soreness, man. <laughs> even if, even if that suggests something about how he's feeling age wise, I think it's much more nebulous and there's no steps. The step is he's going to sit on his ass today. <laughs> Tomorrow hopefully won't be sore. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that you have to ding Bogarts a little bit here, especially, you know, we're still seeing a ton of big homers. We saw a beautiful, beautiful big homer from Gary Sanchez today, which cleared the batter's eye and just looked like a 600-foot dong. But, um, you know, if the ball is deadened at all, uh, I think that Bogarts could be one of the guys who loses a little bit. Now, if he misses a week and the ball's deadened and he's a 280 guy who hits 22 homers this year, are you taking him in the right spot? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I'm looking at him. So without accounting for the shoulder, I've got Bogarts behind Alex Bregman and Anthony Rendon, very tightly clustered together. I've got Bogarts ahead of Manny Machado. The market doesn't have that. Uh, ADP has Machado yeah, 12 I'd, I'd take spots Manny, ahead of him. Especially now, I'd take Manny. Right, I'd flip Manny over Bogarts now. I'd probably take Ozzy Albies over Bogarts right now. And again, this is based on what we know on Monday, March 1st. We... Thursday could roll around and Bogarts could be playing in a spring game again and you flip it back. But if you're drafting there were fewer today, steps than we thought. <laughs> right. But if, but if you're drafting Monday, you're drafting Tuesday or Wednesday, you, you know what you know right now and you do want to account for this information without overreacting to it. So I would probably lower Bogarts to probably my 21st hitter. That would put him behind Machado, behind Albies, behind Devers, and behind Bo Bichette. I think I'd still take Bogarts over Edelberto Mondesi if that were my decision. Or I might just go to the pitching side and take a pitcher and let someone else deal with it. Some dude just hit Rake Lamb on the knee. Ay, ay, ay. Um, yeah, so uh, so like, should we have a, like a hierarchy, an injury hierarchy? <laughs> Which are the worst injuries? Uh, no, it, it is meaningful because like, uh, let's say Jake Lamb's knee is broken, right? Like, that's obviously something broken or torn is... That's the top tier. That's like, oh, crap. Like, do not draft, I think. Right? Because we don't... Like, if something's broken or torn, you don't even know 
how broken or torn it is, and you, then you don't know what the like the re what the thing is. If there's surgery involved, you don't have you you at least don't have that like it's stupid to hear, but you don't have that. Well, it was what we expected, you know, <laughs> like everything mm-hmm. went according to plan, sort of thing. Uh, because there are surgeries where they go in, they're like, well, we thought we we're taking some chips out, but TJ. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I, so anything broken or torn, obviously I think they go right into do not draft. Um, I just, I want to know so much more, at least a temporary do not draft, right. Until maybe some more news comes out. Um, and then I think in the next level of like, oh, soreness, we don't know what's going on. We're taking a step back. I, I have body parts that I care about more than others. So I think for, I think shoulder people talk about elbow, but you know, there are guys who, like Tanaka, slightly torn elbow, managed to be great for a long time. And, like, I have a feeling that the like, pitcher's elbows, like, most of the time they hurt, I think. <laughs> and so, um, I, I, elbow doesn't worry me so much. Shoulder, I don't want to hear anything about a shoulder. That means it's starting to creep up the kinetic chain or whatever. It's trying to creep up into the bigger parts of their body. That means something something's worse there. So, I don't really want to hear about shoulders. And here's a surprising one that it bothers me. Obliques. Um, they, it's really tricky because sometimes you can really have like a two day oblique thing where it's just like, uh, it's just sort of day, but then you can also have a two day thing that becomes a five day thing, you know, becomes like a two week thing. Even if they're, when they're playing, they're not getting the same bat speed. They're not getting the same arm speed, whatever it is. Like this is a game of obliques. Like I really, I think I would actually drop a guy down a little bit just if I heard him saying something about his obliques. This is a game of obliques. Like, I, I just never <laughs> well, heard you would say it that way. You know, it's very rotational. It's a definitely an <laughs> no, obliques it, game. Yeah, it definitely impacts hitters and pitchers in a pretty significant way. Usually it's an IL stint. Usually it's a couple of weeks at the earliest before a player comes back from something like that. A lot of times it's even like four to six. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I think there are different categories of injuries and different body parts we're more concerned about than others. Uh, especially this time oh. of year. And and because of Brit, I'm a little bit more aware of calf muscles now. Brit mm. and Josh Donaldson together have like because remember what Brit was saying that like sprint speed is the thing that you lose the quickest on Friday. Right. So you're saying sprint speed is the thing you lo- like sprint fitness is the thing you lose the quickest. And I believe that actually cuz I'm I'm trying to do some running and you know, I read about running training, and a lot of them are like, you have to run five days a week. You'll start losing running fitness on the order of one or two days. And I've seen mm-hmm. it where like, oh my calf or oh my Achilles, I'm gonna take a week off or something. When I start back up again, I'm like, what? Five miles feels like a marathon again. What? I just I what? And I've been trying to get back up. Like I I ran like 11 miles last year, and I've been trying to get my max run up to, back up to that. And I'm talking about like last August, I ran 11 miles. I got to nine last week, but you know, it's been a slog, you know, just because I took like a week off in in December. So running speed, anything that makes them, they can't run means that I think it'd be hard for them to play baseball. Yeah. That ramp back up takes a little bit of time to get back to the previous level. Yeah. It was so bad for him. But what else moves the needle this time of year? It's not just injury information that we're seeing. We're seeing velocity reports. We're seeing new pitches, right? Jason Collette's been doing the new pitch tracker for a while. And uh, new pitches, I think, are a little bit deceiving because just because a guy throws a pitch in a Grapefruit League game or a Cactus League game doesn't mean he trusts that pitch enough to throw it when the games count. So Mm -hmm. I think we can be sometimes 
quick to jump in on a new pitch and say, oh, he's got a third pitch now. Oh, he's got another pitch he can use against lefties. And then that pitch is an absolute ghost once we turn the page and, and get to April. And we don't get we don't get the all-important uh, pitch percentages. So they could talk about, you know, having thrown their cut, new cutter in the game or whatever. And we don't even know if we're t- if he's talking about throwing, you know, 10% or he threw two cutters and called it a day. Because we don't, like, I po- honestly don't really think a, a person owns a pitch on the major level until they throw it at least like 8% of the time. You know, once if they throw something three to five percent of the time, nobody game plans for that. Nobody is like worried about that pitch. It, it's just a surprise pitch, probably not a very good pitch. They don't trust it enough, so we don't even know those percentages. And actually, the way that those that that percentages and the stints that they pitch in work is also relevant for velocity. Because I would say generally, big up in velocity is good, big down is bad. Um, and there are enough, there's enough research that shows that these big movements are meaningful. Uh, but there is also, uh, research that shows that spring training velo changes are not that, uh, useful. And I think it's because you'll have guys come out for the, what, what are they doing now? One inning stints, right? And then, you know, a couple of weeks, it's two or three innings. Stints. You know, they, they're, they're adding like an inning or two every time they go out. And so you'll see a guy like DeGrom will sit 99 for his whole first inning of work. Well, he knows he's only going to throw 25 pitches today. You know what I mean? And it's DeGrom, so he's going to air it out and, and get on the social media and like everyone's, um, you know, laughing about it. And yes, I do think DeGrom throws hard and I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying that it may not be that useful because he may sit where he sat last year. Um, and, and, and then I remember everyone was like, you Darvish touched 97 today. And I'm like, you Darvish's max velo last year was 97, you know? Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to throw harder. Right. So you got to put everything in context. You'd be like, what are you giving me? Are you giving me a max number or a sits number? If you're giving me a sits number, tell me how many innings he threw. If he sat this for three innings and it's plus one or two ticks over last year, then I'm starting to listen. You know, it has to be, it has to have some volume to it. It has to be voluminous. <laughs> the word of the day. Yeah. The other thing I'm looking at this time of year is uh, new defensive positions. Similar to testing out a pitch, it doesn't necessarily mean a team's going to actually play a guy in that new spot when the games begin to count. But I, I think that might be a greater indicator of intent, comparatively speaking. Dabbling with a new pitch, but yeah, that might disappear. But uh, you know, we saw Gene Segura last spring. The last live baseball game that I got to see was a spring training game with you. It was Orioles Phillies in Clearwater, mm-hmm. and Gene Segura was playing his new position. That wasn't a secret at the time, but I think he was playing third the day we saw him. And previously, people expected him to play second, right? Just getting a sense for how pieces fit, especially when a new player was added to the mix. I think in those situations, seeing how the defensive alignment works is actually something I'm pretty interested in because we're talking about paths for players to qualify at new positions and they become multi-position players soon after the season begins, which in a lot of formats becomes a way of adding a little bit of extra value uh, after draft season. Yeah, I mean, in related news, Segura is actually uh, one of my guys uh, so far in drafts, it looks like. I like him just because he's going to give you a little bit of power and speed. And also, 2B slash 3B is a rare uh, mix in these days and makes you MI and CI. So it's really a four-position guy. 
um, that gives you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's worked out that I needed something like that at the right time. Um, and the price was right. So I'll point that out about Segura. But then also I like what you're saying about like, uh, organizational future, organizational desires. Like I was thinking about Ty France with regards to this. I saw Ty France, um, is mostly taking ground balls at third base. Uh, that's a little awkward because they have a third baseman in Kyle Seager. And so you might just say, you know, whatever. He's just expanding his versatility, you know. Um, however, uh, I then went to Corey Brock and said, you know, uh, what's the deal with Ty France users? I feel like he's the starting DH, but he's taking the balls at third. Does that mean he's going to replace Seager when Seager leaves? And yeah, Brock was like, yeah, that's how I see it too. So um, that means, uh, you know, headed towards third base in the future, uh, most likely to, uh, at, you know, to be third base eligible after this year, I would say. Um, and, but also tells you something about like how the organization values him. Like they're more likely to pit, to play him at DH and have him actually be a starter all year. If they think he's going to be their third baseman in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I gave Ty France a little nudge upwards, you know? The guy can probably hit, and uh, uh, they have a position in mind for him. So that that definitely, I think, um, it's a little bit stronger than, you know, taking ground balls at is weaker than played in the game at. But there's still some right. some no, some uh, signal to that noise. Yeah, and, and just comparing that to how relievers are deployed, I would say reliever usage doesn't give us much of anything in spring training because a lot of teams are going to prioritize their high leverage relievers earlier in the game sooner to the starters leave because they want the high leverage relievers to face actual major league hitters as opposed to upper level minor league guys that enter the game late. So uh, if Giovanni Gallegos pitched the ninth inning on Sunday, regardless of the score, it doesn't really mean all that much. doesn't mean he's Closer or further to save chances based on that usage. <laughs> I have to say that I th- I'm, I'm finding it harder to uh, understand um, the quality of competition right now. Because, yeah, I think normally in the past, like you're right, they would t- bring the closers out. Sometimes the closers would open games. Because they would be like, okay, we're making sure that you're gonna you're gonna place the the best play the best uh, bats today. So we're gonna we're gonna get you in here at right at, right at the beginning of the game. But now uh, that innings, now that we're down to seven inning games, um, and have these weird things with like, I'm pretty sure I watched Garrett Richards walk off the mound with two outs because he hit 20 pitches. And I think that they were and they just, could like, just be like, we're yeah, good. That's the end of that inning. Done. Which actually, you know what, dude? I mean, these games don't count. You know, if it's supposed to be developmental, then that's fine. I don't. It doesn't bother me. But as a you know, as an analyst, it, it makes it a little bit harder because now you're like, you know, this guy who's a closer candidate came in in the you know the third and you know mopped the floor with them. I have no idea who he faced. In the third, they might have already taken out the hitters because it's a today's a five inning game. <laughs> you know? or, if they're gonna if they're gonna mess around with game lengths, I have to imagine they're they're gonna have to lower the price of spring training tickets. You can't expect people to pay borderline regular season prices for spring training tickets if you're gonna cut the game in half and barely play guys that are actual major leaguers. I mean, spring training is 
they won't necessarily, but right. it, it is just like an attempt to print money. And now they're they're even like, well, players, if you don't really want to play, or if teams, you don't really want to put that guy out there, you don't have to. It's Twenty fine. pitches, just, just call it quits. Yeah, no, I, I think I think spring training is very weird. I mean, you, I don't know if uh, everyone knows, but like the players aren't paid for it, so right. the players aren't paid for it, and they're taking money at the gate, uh, even if the you know, tickets are cheaper. Like they're still taking money at the gate. I'm sure that they make money off of spring and it's six weeks long. You know, that's, that's, there's, they're making money off of this, the players and they're giving the players, um, free food and like some sort of little stipend and being like, woohoo. Which, I mean, if you're an established big leaguer, okay, your situation's a little bit different. But for the guys that are fighting for roster spots, for the guys that didn't get big bonuses, we, we talk about this group of players all the time. Like, they're in. They'll save the stipend and eat as much as they can of the free food. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> like in college when, like, I used to get prodded and zapped for, like, you know, the $10, you know, whatever. It's come, come participate in my study. <laughs> Free pizza. Free pizza. I'm like, all right, I'm there. <laughs> you will be here for three hours. Uh, we will stab you with needles and take <laughs> yeah. your blood. But you get free pizza. And you're like, yeah, three hours, free pizza? That sounds about right. I'll, I'll, I'll give that a shot for some free pizza. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have the games back. As weird as they are, as um, broken up as they are, and as limited in talent as they are in some instances, still better to have it than to not, especially uh, given some of the alternatives. All right, you know, let's get to auction strategy thoughts. We've got the labor auctions coming up this weekend, and we have an online conference, third week in a row with some cool stuff happening on the weekend. First pitch, Florida, would have been in person, obviously, with the pandemic, that is on hold, but the event is happening online. Our friends at Baseball HQ are putting that together. Uh, you've got a presentation on Saturday. I'm moderating. Basically, we're having an episode of Rates and Barrels live as part of the conference. Is is the 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 real thing? I guess that's yeah. When you said presentation, that, but... I was like, uh, what? <laughs> it's uh, it was on the rundown. It says an hour with Eno. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be anything. I, I'm okay with it because, you know, like Pitcher List, did, we did the same thing. We just sat and talked for a little bit. And I'm all right with it because it takes a lot less work and a lot less pre prep work and like presentation. Woo. Miss me on that. <laughs> the deep, deep data. No, we'll talk about some of the, the cutting edge me? stuff that's happening. Yeah, I get, I have hours with me all the time. I have hours and hours <laughs> and hours with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a little time to come up with the final strategy, but I'm sure you put some 
significant thought into how you're going to approach the AL labor auction this weekend and just auctions as a whole. You know, we've talked about them on this show before, usually around this time of year, because it's a good time to start digging into those strategies. What's unique for you auction wise going into 2021? Is there anything that's very different about your approach? You mentioned earlier that you don't usually draft pitchers in the first round. I assume that means you don't often pay 30 plus dollars for an ace in an auction, but are you more likely to pay up in an auction where you have more flexibility with how the rest of your roster comes together? Yeah, I've been moving actually uh, slightly towards a model of, um, so my, my hitting model generally is to um, try and get the cheapest stud. And uh, what I found is that my projections uh, always kind of uh, come down, come under on the top players. So like my top player will be like for a long, for a long time, my top player would be trout for like $35 and he'd go for 40 and I just didn't feel like I wanted to push past my values that much. Um, and what I tried to basically get was get a $30 player for 30 You know? Instead of paying 40 for a $35 player. So that means that I get... It's almost like a two-second two rounder approach. You know? It's like a... You know, I'm going to I'm gonna get two second rounders. I have to pay. This, there will be times where you just have to pay all the way to your value. Maybe a dollar or two more. Maybe I have to pay 31 to get my 30. But, you know, I'm going to get one of those. I'm not going to get the number one player. Um, and I'm going to try and pay at my value. And that that actually pushes my hitting uh, into to the middle. So what I end up doing is not having many dollar players. Maybe having just one dollar outfielder or a dollar utility player. Uh, because even like a two or three dollar bid at the end game can be really powerful. You know, when people are uh, they're like, oh, you know, oh, that guy's still out there, and someone's trying to sneak him in at a dollar, and you got two dollars, bam, you just got, you know, the best of the the end game guys. You know, um, and one dollar players hitters a lot of times are either small side platoon or not even set for for playing time. And in like an AL labor type situation, I want to buy playing time. So on the hitter end, I, I do push towards the middle a little bit. I have, I will try to get like some second rounder types, but I will push towards the middle, try to have a really balanced, buy a lot of innings and plate appearances. On the pitching side, I had been moving towards a stars and scrubs uh, approach where I will buy a Roldis, like I bought last year, I bought a Roldis Chapman, um, or two years ago, it was a Roldis Chapman and Luis Severino. That was my idea, you know? It didn't work out, but that was my idea that I was going to like push towards the get one really good ace, one really good uh, closer, and then just buy a bunch of cheap uh, arms after that. But I think this year I may do more of a push towards the middle on both. So I, I feel like pitching is pretty hard to project right now and putting all my eggs in one basket pitching wise. I guess it could be Cole, but I think Cole will also get that like. $35 for $40 type situation, right? Where like he will push the market for pitching. And then behind Cole, specifically in this pool, the AL pitching pool, I just don't see a, an all eggs in one basket type pitcher where I just want to be like, yeah, I'm going to put $32 on this guy and, and ride him all the way to the victory. Yeah, and the NL side is similar in that you've got DeGrom kind of up in a tier of his own, right? He's going to be probably a 38 to $40 pitcher, I would guess, mm -hmm. in the NL auction this weekend. And you've got that next cluster behind him 
which is pretty nice in the NL. The NL pitching depth lends itself to, hey, you missed out on DeGrom, but you could either get one from the next group, you could jam in two from the next group if you really wanted to. And it just feels like, especially since we're tracking toward not having the DH in the NL, there's a lot of mid-tier guys that you're more comfortable with now. Guys you'd be worried about if they were facing the extra good hitter in the middle of the lineup, but now they're getting the pitcher spot instead, so that pool seems to run a lot deeper now as long as that that rules change uh, holds up. But I'm comfortable paying up at the top for DeGrom. I, I think he's done it for enough years. He's, to me, not that much of an injury risk, not much more than a typical pitcher, even though he had the TJ a few years back. Uh, I trust the skills completely. My top dollar on him, am I going to 40 for him? I don't know if I'm going quite that high. I, I, if it stops closer to the 35 or 36, I'll get him. If not, fine, I'll build some other ways. The one thing that I think is is also tricky with pitching, though, is figuring out how you want to attack closers in an auction. Because in snakes, like we talked about in the reliever preview, you're really forced to pass up on some good players, whether that's SP3 types or uh, nice bats to kind of round out the, the meat of your lineup. You're passing on really good players where you're drafting closers. I don't feel that same shame at an auction. I feel like I can still get a lot of guys I really like, even if I do spend up and pay 20 or 22 or something on Josh Hader. Uh, I think the problem I have in the NL specifically, though, I don't know of the cheap closers this year. I still don't know if there are that many I actually even want. Because in labor, we can't take players out of our lineups. And I don't want to have uh, Stefan Crichton just in my lineup all the time, right? I don't want him to blow up my ratios and lose the job. 4-6 ERA. Woohoo! Yeah, I can't deal with that. Or even even like Craig Kimbrell. Like, I think Kimbrell sort of makes sense in mixed league drafts where he goes. He's kind of the the reverse Freddie Freeman. Like, I always say that in the early rounds, like in the first round of a draft, I don't want to draft Freddie Freeman. I'll buy Freddie Freeman at an auction. I'll draft Craig Kimbrell in a snake draft. I'm not necessarily going to pay... $13 for him as a closer, right? Like it's it's funny how the players you're interested in can shift a little bit just because of the flexibility you have in an auction versus that opportunity cost that you have to go through going one pick at a time in a snake. Yeah, the shape the shape of the player pool is is really important because you can have your values and this year and as I have in the past, I have um uh, ATC custom ATC values. Shout out to Ariel Cohen. He provides me with some custom ATC values for uh, for AL labor. But I also run the bat, um, and I'll have I have four numbers. I have ADP uh, values. I'll have ATC values. I'll have the bat values, and I'll have uh, what they earned last year. Um, and I'll have those four values in a row just in front of me to look at. Of course, they'll be sorted by one. I won't tell you which one. Um, and, uh, and, and one of those numbers will be a no go, uh, for me, will, will represent like the, the ceiling for me, but it's nice to have a range there, um, in numbers wise, but it, but beyond that, there's the shape of the player pool. So in a snake draft, like remember we did the analysis for KDS for, for, for snake drafts. And we're talking about like, well, if you take, you know, uh, you take, if you have the 11 pick, then you're going to end up probably with Yelich and, 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 um, Bueller, right? Um, and we end up having a really basic draft where I almost felt, I almost followed ADP all the way without even meaning to, um, the same thing will happen in, uh, in, 
in an auction, it's a slightly different, but it, it'll be like, if I sink my resources into this player, these are the things that I will get from it, right? And th- then I will have less, you know, I'll have fewer resources to buy. So like, just to give an example, if I do sink a lot of my money into Freddie Freeman, it is almost like a snake draft. If I do sink my money into Freddie Freeman, I'm buying a first baseman and batting average and power, and I will need to, therefore, sink my second most resources into someone who's different than that. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It almost works like a snake, but you can choose what that second most resource will be. You have more power, but you probably will have some effect from 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 buying Freddie Freeman. It means that your second guy will be somebody that is like maybe it's a Starling Marte type, right? Where it's like I need uh, steals mostly from this guy, and I want to spend. Uh, you know, my second most expensive guy will probably be like sort of twenty to twenty five dollars. This is a, these are the guys that. So if I buy Freeman, this is what we talk about with like decision trees. If I buy Freeman, I bought power and first base uh, and floor and all this stuff. Uh, my next guy will maybe it'll be Keston Hira, because. You know, uh, he's a second baseman that will steal some bases and have maybe have a bad batting average. That pay- pairs pretty well with Freeman. But that's, I ended up doing these little, almost like, uh, it's like a mock draft and you can just do the mock draft, but I don't have enough time to do tons of mock drafts. Um, so I will do a mock draft in my head where I'm like, I just basically fill out a roster. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll, I'll have a mm-hmm. roster out and I'll be like, okay, if I buy Devers with my most money or if I buy Jose Ramirez with my most money or if I buy, you know, uh, this is what happens after that. I will I'll end up spending here and here and I'll look at the different teams and I'll say, you know what, I like, I kind of like it more when I start with Devers than when I start with Bregman or when I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it like that too, where I'm actually either through the Rotowire draft software, which I've always used, or just taking Excel or a piece of paper. I'm going to go through the auction values. What does my roster look like if I spend 40 on my best hitter? And then if I buy three $30 players and a few $20 players, what's the rest of my roster going to look like? What combination of, of skills can I get if I allocate resources that way? There's only a handful of $40 players. So if that $40 player is DeGrom, like if I do go to 40 on him, I feel like that's the right choice. Where am I going to? Yeah. Where, where, what's going to hurt me later? Yeah. Like what $30 hitters am I going to build around not having a $40 hitter, right? Like just kind of seeing like what happens if we go this way all right that looks all right what if i do it this way at the beginning putting those bases together really gives you different ways to build because you don't know exactly what's going to happen on draft day one person in the room in the auction can push you off one of your foundational players and the quicker you can pivot to plan b plan c plan d the better off you're going to be and there you have to be flexible you you just you really have to be flexible in any league, but an auction especially, as much as you want to script it out, it can backfire on you very quickly if you're too rigid, if you're too locked into a very specific foundation. Yeah, I had a really weird thing happen last year where um, I had two decision trees where I was like, one is Devers and one is um, Jose Ramirez. And I thought I'd get a little bit more speed from Jose Ramirez. So um, you know, I could make some different decisions down, down in the outfield, maybe some power guys, you know what I mean? Um, and, um, and one was uh, Devers and I, for some reason, I just liked the teams that I was building coming off of Devers. So I identified Devers. I was like, okay, I think he's going to be my 30, you know, 34, $35 guy. And he, the value spit out 33, 34. That's everything's going to go happy if I go that way. And he went for like 36 and I just couldn't bring myself to put that extra dollar on, you know, 
And so I, I was like, well, okay, now we're switching to the Jose Ramirez plan. At least that's my second plan. Um, and I threw Jose Ramirez and I bought Jose Ramirez for 35 uh, when the dollar sheet said like 33. So when it came, I I went the extra dollar for Ramirez and it was a maybe it was just a gut thing. And it worked out really well for me because... You know, I ended up second in the league, and 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 uh, Ramirez has had a great season, and, and the steals and everything. But I I thought I'd screwed up. You know, I came out of I came out of the first break being like, why didn't I just put that extra dollar on on Devers? I think that's why it's important to know how many players are in each group, though. Mm. Like when you when you go through that process, how many thirty dollars players do you see? Because then you know if, if you're about to run out of thirty dollars players you like. That's why I went the extra buck on Ramirez because it was later in the draft, right? It was later in the draft, and and there was fewer thirty five dollars guys left. I was like, well, if I want to get a thirty five dollars bat, like this Ramirez is one of the last ones. Here we go. <laughs> right. So you're going to adjust to the room a little bit. You know, at, at a certain point, if the room's paying plus two, plus three, plus four over the projections for top end players, you're going to have to follow suit and pay a plus two or a plus three up top, knowing that later on a couple of the two and three dollar players are going to be one dollar players. And if it keeps happening beyond the first 15, 20 players, sure, then those savings are going to extend up into the four and five dollar players. Those guys will become one and two dollar players if you're your $30 guys are all 33, 34, 35, right? Like the money spent earlier is going to come off the very bottom end of the pool as you as you start to make those adjustments. You don't want to have to pay plus five or plus seven for an $18 player in the middle of the auction because you didn't buy enough production early on. I think that's a really, really hard lesson to learn for some people as they, they get into auctions for the first time. And uh, I, I spend very aggressively. So fortunately, I haven't run into that problem in a very long time. Hopefully, I never run into that problem again. Uh, but I, looking at the NL pool, I'm so glad I'm in the NL and not the AL. I, I just think there are so many more interesting ways to build an NL-only team compared to an AL-only team. I feel, I feel like you get steered into a few more specific directions based on how the AL pool is built. Well, if you're drafting in an AL-only situation, I would I would look at second base pretty hard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've said this about... The, the the old overall player pool, but AL second base is tough. AL pitching is pretty tough. Um, there were some high profile moves from the AL to the NL, uh, some t- some top arms, and so there is a bit of a you know one two and then you know. So uh, you have to really make a decision on: Am I going to bid hard on those two um, or? If I'm not going to bid hard on those two, who are the two number twos that I that I am going to you know go to fifteen dollars on, you know if I'm not going to go to to thirty eight on Shane Bieber, um, you know who are the secondary guys that I think could anchor a staff. So those are the two things I would say that uh, I'm thinking about. I don't want to give away too much, but, but uh, those are things that I'm looking at. You know I may make different decisions than you would looking at the same information, but I think that. That those uh, those are two key parts of the AL player pool in particular. And if you are looking for really in-depth conversation about uh, auctions, uh, Ariel Cohen, the Beat the Shift podcast that he does with Ruvain Guy, they had me on as a guest to talk about auctions. It's like almost 90 minutes of auction analysis. Uh, Ariel's a great auction player too, so I would highly recommend checking out that episode if you're either just getting into auctions for the first time or you're trying to kind of kick it up on their level and you want to get uh, further down the rabbit hole of different things you can do to have a lot of success 
in a format like this. But I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the auction this weekend. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year. Uh, bummed, of course, that we're not able to do it live, but still good to get together, jump on a Zoom, get to see some faces and uh, hear the voices of some of our friends and probably have a beer or two at the end of the evening anyway. We'll have a virtual fire pit or something. We'll uh, We'll find a way to make it work. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, got a few questions here, Eno, before we go. This first one comes from Kevin. It's about prospect platoon splits. Kevin's in a position with the second pick in his rookie draft, and he's choosing between Andrew Vaughn and Jared Kelnick. He's been leaning toward Kelnick for a while now, but one of the buddies he has in his league said he just hates lefties, which is really interesting. This had me wondering about his splits and whether the Mariners might mess around by platooning him. I think this is just a broader question, really. Like, Do prospect platoon splits matter that much? And if they do matter, have we even seen enough from Jared Kelnick to believe that he you know, can't hit lefties or can hit lefties, right? Like, I feel like it's one of these things that we really wouldn't know this early in his career. And how the Mariners handle him or how any team handles a young prospect also hinges on how the rest of their roster comes together and whether or not they even have someone they could easily platoon with that player. Yeah, and then it's complicated by just the overall quality of the prospect and his uh, the, the, the way that he'll hit the ground in the major leagues when he gets there. Because if you think about it, like, uh, like a prospect for the Yankees, they're pr- if they like if you theoretically knew their platoon splits, you would ding them harder, right? Because the Yankees would actually use them that way. The Yankees are usually good, so if the guy gets to the major leagues and they know he has a platoon problem, they'll probably land him in a platoon situation. That's just who they are, you know. Uh, but the Mariners, I think, you're you're talking about a top two prospect in baseball right now, top three. Uh, with Kalinich. And so, you know, and they're not going to be so good that they're going to try and, and squeeze every ounce of production out of him when he first gets to the big leagues. So they're going to give him a lot more time. So I would say in the average position for a prospect, it would be more, it'd be more interesting to see how they're used at the major league level than it would be to know their minor league platoon splits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So 
I don't think I'd worry about it too much with prospects. I I think that a young player like a Miguel Andujar or like a you know like a um, a young player that's like playing on a team where they're not using him um, in those positions. Um, could we have seen the Hunter Renfro's current uh, situation by his prospect platoon spits, or would be who is a Jock Peterson? Jock Peterson uh, was a decently regarded prospect that came up with the Dodgers, the Dodgers, and they only use him in platoon. So uh, long, long-winded answer. I would say the organization matters as much. The organization and the landing situation matters as much as the actual platoon splits themselves. I think. Right. And I think with with Jock Peterson, like he came up and was playing for a contender. And a contender is going to have depth, and a contender is going to be, you know, very, very adamant about making sure that the lineup is as good as it can be every, every day because yeah. every single game matters. But player development matters more for a rebuilding team. I would say in in, in Kelnick's case, I'm not worried about it. He's he's going to get chances. It's going to take him a few years in the big leagues before the Mariners look at him and say, "We're not playing against lefties." I, I think he's going to be an everyday guy very soon after he comes up. So in that case, I wouldn't worry about it. It is the kind of thing that you you know you don't want to ignore. If a guy is striking out a lot more against lefties in the minors, yeah, you would care about that. But if you see even a like a 200-point difference in OPS, I think was what was pointed out from 2019, you're still talking about one year split across multiple levels mm. where all those plate appearances against lefties, you're talking maybe, what, 100 to 125 plate appearances total? It's still such a limited sample that you'd be likely introducing something to your analysis that's hurting you more than helping you if you're reading too much into that. So don't ignore it, but don't make decisions based on that entirely. Some other examples of players he mentioned, yeah, Jock Peterson, uh, Michael Conforto when he first came up at the very least, Jesse Winker. I, I get it. Like I, it's it's a real thing to to account for, but. Kelnick's also, I think, going to be a decent defender, too, which helps drive that playing time. Sometimes the guys that end up on big side platoons are left-handed mashers who are below average yeah, defenders. Yeah, Winker's not a great defender. And that kind of pulls them out of the lineup, too, because then you got two reasons. You want to play the platoon advantage, and you want a better glove out mm-hmm. there, because then you're getting an upgrade in, in two facets like, that way. Yeah. I suppose we could have seen Winker's platoon coming, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. But there are so many other ways he could have busted. The the way that he turned out, I'm not complaining about. Like, he's he's a valuable major league player and a valuable fantasy piece. You know? Yeah, and he gets platoon. I don't know. What do you, What about Alex Kirilov? Also, you'd rather, rather have player. a lefty if they're going to end up getting platoon, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't well, want, yeah, and you're on the big you side. You don't want Mike Rousseau. But the other player that uh, Kevin asked us about is Alex Kirilov, who's supposed to come up and have a big role with the Twins. Mm. Uh, do you see him being a little more vulnerable mm. to possibly getting the early career platoon treatment? That is a tougher one because the Twins are going to be good. Uh, they're going to try and win their division this year. Is Jake Cave a righty? Because that would give them, I think he probably is, just from the profile I'm guessing. Is Jake Cave a righty? No, Jake Cave's a lefty. Oh, really? So, Arise? Play him in a corner? Arise? Bats lefty, too. Dude, maybe not. 
Who, who, I'm surprised they don't have his... a right-handed hitting outfielder. Yeah, who's going to take his job? Rooker, who's like a first baseman? Not a good defender. Not a good defender. That's interesting. Yeah, I think in this case, uh, I would play that game. I'd play the depth chart game. And I'd look around and I'd be like, I don't see an obvious person to platoon with him. I mean, I, don't, I doubt they're going to put Keon Broxton out there instead of Alex Kirilov. You wouldn't think. I mean, Keon Broxton is a good emergency if Byron Buxton's hurt, you get a good defender, has power and speed, but has a high K percentage and I would guess you know, triple A depth. Clear like eight nine hitter. Yeah. He's more of a quad A sort of guy that uh, is is interesting, but definitely not <laughs> gotta, a, a guy you're putting on the field at the expense of Kirilov. I got a text update. Beaver's <laughs> Beaver sitting ninety three to ninety four. <laughs> but I was just podcasting, okay? I was just podcasting. <laughs> you weren't. You were not at all uh, reaching out to people on site to yeah. uh, give you some <laughs> some scouting reports on how yeah, Beaver looked. Exactly. Nope. Nope. Not doing that at all. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for that question, Kevin. It's a, it's a good question to think about when you're looking at young players, either to stash or for keeper for dynasty, whatever the the case might be. Uh, this next email got my attention because of the subject line. Subject lines are always important. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you go the email route, the subject line said, I will send bottles of Jester King if you tell me this trade didn't suck. I'm going to open that email sooner than the other emails. So they're not always open in the order that they're received. Sometimes the more interesting subject line does get my attention. I'm sorry to admit that. Uh, the question comes from John. Uh, he's looking for brutal, honest feedback on an auto new trade that he made. He gave away Anthony Rendon who is at $39 for Mark Canha at five and Brady Singer at three. Was this a bleep trade? A more general question in this kind of format. How do you evaluate cheap points above replacement value guys, which is what I got against the studs that guarantee you max points for a higher cost per point, which is a common question that we're thinking about. We're looking at keeper questions and trying to decide what to do with, with rosters in uh, formats like this. It's it's very common. This situation, I feel like I'd be telling a pretty big lie to to get that Jester King, you know? Like I The Jester I King like is tempting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tempting. I can't get that up here. I've never had it before and I've only heard good things and I I like free beer. I like really good free beer even more. But Prod Prod me I would have held Anthony Rendon here. <laughs> I understand like you, you run to a point in, in leagues with an in-season cap or with just a cap in general where you can't always keep the studs that you want to keep. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you got to take a guy like Rendon and say, all right, I got to turn Rendon into some younger, cheaper players. But Mark Canna's older than Anthony Rendon, so you know, cheap and efficient, good. Like, he's the kind of guy that could be quickly in a bench role for Oakland. Mm -hmm. So I don't see a lot of long-term value there. Brady Singer's interesting, but not the kind of like frontline starter interesting that I would have also looked for as the main piece here. Plus, you're banking on long-term pitching, which adds a ton of risk. Yeah, and also just generally the flow in Dynasty and Keeper is that you want to you, the gold is young bats. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, went panning for gold with Anthony Rendon and came back with old and pitcher, which is. The opposite of gold in fantasy and dynasty fantasy. So I would say that, like, uh, yeah, I don't love that trade. I, I, you know, once had like a $62 uh, Mike Trout 
in um, in an auto new league, and I may not have gotten the greatest return. I got um, Roberto Asuna cheap, um, Vlad Guerrero cheap, like junior, and uh, like two uh, pitching prospects. So uh, the gold was for me Vlad Guerrero, who I then turned around into something else, and you know, the world turns on. But uh, but the point is that you gotta you gotta identify that gold, that one piece of gold that you're trying to get, and then you add make them add stuff around it. So um, <clears throat> trading Rendon probably a good idea. Uh, you probably would have had to do it in season if not before the season. Uh, you do get a bunch of money, but money itself is, and this is on your specific thing. Money itself is not that amazing because the drafts are not that amazing. They're filled often with uh, mid thirties bounce back type players, which are not good bets. So the, the gold is still a 22 to 25 year old young bat. And you just, you just want to, you want to get that in every, every transition and transaction you have. And otherwise, Keep Rendon and pay pay for the pay the money for the price pay pay the money for the production. Um, right. I mean, if, if this trade were Rendon at thirty nine for Nick Senzel at five and Brady Singer at three, I could like start to talk myself bit, into it because because yeah. then you got a guy that you could see being on your team for several years, being pretty underpriced, doing a little bit of everything. Like that's more in line with where I'm at. I mean, how do you evaluate cheap points above replacement value guys like this? I just see them as highly replaceable. I, I I don't see as much value in those players. Like even though the the points per dollar look good, it's that's replacement level or near replacement level. And I'd rather have that higher value player locked in, knowing that if it doesn't work out with guys in the bottom of my roster, I can find someone else that brings comparable upside to a canna or a singer. Like those those types of players enter the league pretty often even in deeper auto new formats yeah i had a i have like a super deep dynasty that i talk about sometimes on here uh devil's rejects and um players like angelton simmons and we just took cancer alberto <laughs> really late um you know just uh, uh players that'll play that might have a good that might be landing in a good situation uh, might give you good points in a short-term situation like that they're um yeah a dime a dozen um, when it comes to to dynasty, and they're not they're not valuable in trades or or um, uh, or valued in the draft, so um, they're fun to have though. I mean, like kind of like this year will probably produce this five dollar thing, but he won't have any trade value, um, and um, he maybe end up just being a cut in next spring or uh, once they bring in another outfielder or trade him or whatever it is. All that said, look, you're going to make mistakes when you're new to a format. It's okay. You also this get Jester King. going to ruin you forever. <laughs> Instead of sending yeah. it to us, drink it <laughs> and yell at drink us. Drink the Jester King. <laughs> and curse that's at us. The, <laughs> that's the move in this case. Uh, we did have a question. Back at the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking about a website to order local beer from around the country. You know, what's the, what's the latest with that site that you worked on? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the, in the meantime, a lot of the states have, uh, you know, the state beer, your beer coalitions or beer associations um, have uh, put up stuff that, where you can find uh, which breweries are shipping in your state uh, that way. Uh, so th- there's been some other things that have popped up, but we had, um, you know, supportbeer.com and you can search 
by state uh, and find out which uh, breweries are you can you can click you know shipping in state and you should be able to get a list of breweries that are shipping in your state. Otherwise, um, you know, a place like Taver uh, is pretty fun. Uh, you know, that's a, a, a way that you can just order beer from all over the country uh, to that arrives in your mail. So that's T-A-V-O-U-R. Pretty, pretty cool company. It's Taver. It's not Tavour. Well, listen, <laughs> I thought it was Tajay. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just TJ Anton. Is the I thought it was Taver like Saver, but oh, I thought it was Tavour like Devour. But I guess it could be both. It's probably like it, not Tajay Anton. Yeah, both both are possible. <laughs> I apologize to Mr. <laughs> Anton and his family. <laughs> That, uh, that much we know is true. Uh, second question, I recently bought both Urquidy and Framber Valdez in a Keep Forever Dynasty League thanks to Eno's discussions on the pod. Does this make me a perpetual league winner for the next three to four years, and why is that answer 100% yes? Yeah, yeah. You've done it. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, am, I am doing, like I've said, I, I am kind of looking at uh, pitchers with command um, as uh, having a higher floor and maybe being more inning safe. Um, so, uh, you know, like the Alec Mills, JT Brubaker, Urquidy is like um, a little bit like that, but then also throws nasty stuff. So, Urquidy's getting some helium too, though. He's starting to creep up a little bit. Sorry, sorry to anybody who wanted, who already had him circled before I <laughs> put my kiss of death on him. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot for the email, Baxter, and thank you for your email, John. Uh, as we said, enjoy that, Jester King. Uh, no need to send it our way since we didn't approve of the uh, the trade that you sent our way. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email for a future episode, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to do that. On Twitter, he's at Unoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We've got our survey running. That'll be in the show notes. It's about all the podcasts we do here at The Athletic. If you take a few minutes to knock that out, we really appreciate your feedback. It'll help us make even better shows for you here on our network. If you have not signed up for The Athletic yet, you can get in for $3.99 a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get Eno's pitching rankings. Get all my rankings. Get Jake Seeley's projections. Get all the articles. Everything in the draft kit included. Plus, of course, all the team and league coverage you could possibly want all for one low price. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.